independent filmmaking is most always a struggle. And that's the thing we're going to look into with this podcast called The Independent Filmmaker. We are interviewing people of all experiences and what it took to get their films made. I'm your host, Gary Duffy, an independent filmmaker from Modesto, California. And welcome to The Independent Filmmaker. Now let me leave the meeting. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, so today we are joined with our guest, Jeffrey Reddick. And Jeffrey is a screenwriter, director, producer, actor, author, you name it. Jeffrey has done it or is doing it. And um he he's done a lot of independent uh things. And uh so let, so as I was like stalking you, I, I got into things like, so you were born in Kentucky on a farm, right? Well, I was, in all honesty, I was born in Florida, but I moved to Kentucky when I was really young. So I grew up, grew up in Kentucky. So I kind of claim Kentucky as home because I wasn't, I was just a child. You know, I don't remember. I had, I have like two memories of Florida. Um, so yes, yeah, so we moved to Kentucky when I was really, really young um, to take care of my mom's parents and some other relatives. And so, yeah, I grew up on a, on a farm, um, which was, you know, I'm, you know, just, I, I always joke, like, I, I, I'm kind of like, a, my upbringing was very much like Loretta Lynn's coal miner's daughter, like we were poor, but we had love. Yeah. Um, so we had, um, yeah, we had a farm with like, you know, and, you know, grew our own food, you know, our own animals to eat. Sorry, Peter. Um, you know, so yeah, the whole farm, farm life experience growing up. So as a young kid growing up, though, on a farm, mm -hmm. I would think that would kind of put you in sort of, how should I put this? Uh, like you have I, I know when i was a kid growing up you know we had three channels right on the tv mm -hmm. so and a lot of times it was boring stuff it was daytime talk news whatever so you'd go outside and play and you'd make your own fun as to where kids nowadays are it's just all about taking in content watching 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 instead of doing and i'm wondering if by you growing up in a in a rural area where you probably had to go out and make your own fun do you think that somehow related to your later life making stories? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely um, goes hand in hand with my with my entire life. I mean, when I was growing up, um, we had three channels as well, but we didn't get TV up until I think I was in middle school oh, wow. because they had they had cables that would run up like we lived way out. 
we lived way out in the boonies up a holler like two and a half miles up a holler so they had to put like cables that would run up you know to give you the three channels that everybody got but if there was a rain or snowstorm and a tree knocked over the cable then you were out of tv until they could send somebody up to fix it so um most of my time i mean the one thing my mom all the a thing i love about my mom is she was very much um she she was an older woman she had us when she was 50 um but she was very worldly like she had like built you know helped build planes for the war um she she just had a really rich life and so she had a vast like collection of books um and music um and so I, I got heavy into reading like greek mythology and Roman mythology when i was young and then i had a group of friends who we got into horror movies which is kind of my genre of choice um at a very young age um and at first my mom didn't want me really watching them but then she realized that me and my buddies like we were we never got in trouble like instead of going out and you know doing wheelies at the at the the, at the local shopping mall and drinking at night, we would just all get together at each other's houses and watch movies and um, and also go out at night and play in the woods and scare each other and run around like a bunch of maniacs. Um, it, it, yeah, in the woods. So we had imagination was very um, using your imagination and entertain yourself was very a very important part of me growing up. And I knew from a young age that I wanted to, I'd always wanted to be an actor. That was my first love. And that I, I honestly feel like that was, working in the industry was definitely my destiny. Um, and the only reason I say that is because I just knew at such a young age, like one of my neighbors told me that she asked me when I was like seven, like what I was gonna do when I grew up. And I said, I'm gonna be a movie star. Yeah, and I was very, I wasn't being like, not because I wanted to be famous, but because I loved acting and pretending and loved movies so much that I knew from a young age that I was going to do that. So I never deviated from that. Like when I was in high school, I convinced my English teacher to have a one year acting course because we didn't have anything like that at our school. Um, and so performing and, and working in entertainment was something that I've always wanted to do. And I think that that came from, again, me just being so used to watching movies, but also just going out and play acting and imagining stuff. And, and yeah, it was, that's a long answer, but that's the. Well, it's, it's a good answer because <laughs> years later, you're 14 years old uh, from what I understand. And mm -hmm. you watched, was it the first nightmare on Elm Street? Yes, the amazing first nightmare. And that inspired you to sit down and write a 10-page treatment, if I understood correctly, mm -hmm. and send it off. And it must have been sort of good because you got a reply. Even at first, if it was like, leave us alone, kid. But <laughs> but next you you got all bent and you said no. You, <laughs> you wrote them again. And uh, I'll I'll let you tell that story for people who don't know. Well, though, it's funny because I, I didn't know anything about how the movie industry worked. I just, um, I always tell people like horror movies, I love them. Um, but Nightmare on Elm Street was the, was the film that actually 
made me become not just obsessed with horror movies, but imagine the possibilities that you could do with horror movies. Because I also read Fangoria magazine, which is like kind of like the Bible for like horror films. And they would always go behind the scenes on how they made stuff. And just reading about how Wes Craven put this movie, because I had no expectations when I saw the movie going in, because it came, it was a double feature. Um, I found out later on that the print had gotten washed out in processing. So when you watch the trailer on TV, the trailer looked a little cheap because it had this faded washed out look to it. So I was like, eh, this looks kind of cheesy. And um, me and my friend, uh, Tony Calhoun, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, um, we, he lived behind a, a drive-in movie theater. And so we could only, we couldn't afford to pay to see movies. Yeah. So this is old, this is old school illegal downloading. So we, <laughs> we would go sit on his dad, his dad's truck and turn on the T, uh, CB and watch the movies on the front, uh, sitting on his dad's truck. And I saw the first movie was alone in the dark, which new line cinema also did. And then nightmare on street came on. And the movie just blew me away. Like it was so imaginative. It was so well done. There were so many, I mean, every set piece in that movie is amazing. Um, still to this day. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was like, I am going to write a prequel. I had, so I went home and I wrote a prequel idea and I found out the name of the production company. And then I called information in New York and got their mailing address. And then I mailed the, pr- prequel to Bob Shea, who was the head of New Line Cinema. And he sent it back to me and said, you know what, I'm sorry, we don't read unsolicited material. And then I had to look up what unsolicited means because, <laughs> because I was only 14. And so I wrote him back and I, you know, God, God wish, you know, you, I had this gumption still, but um, I just wrote him back and I said, excuse me, sir, but I've spent like $3 on your stuff um because movies were a lot cheaper back then i spent three dollars on your movies um and i think the least you can do is take five minutes to read my story and 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 this was thing and also looking back because i analyzed things in the you know this was before new line blew up because of nightmare so i i just got that sweet time and i think i got just got bob jay on a good day and he read it and he wrote he wrote me back he's like you've got a you've got a really great imagination he goes thank you for your aggressive introduction actually that's how he started it um and he goes you've got a great imagination he goes you know my advice to you is to study study screenwriting so you can learn the format and learn structure um and then his assistant joy man who also is no longer with us, unfortunately, um, became like a pen pal to me. And she would send me scripts and she would send me behind the scenes stuff. Um, and for a 14, 15 year old kid in Eastern Kentucky, this was just like amazing, like amazing encouragement. And um, big deal. yeah, it was it was huge. It was huge because she just it just encouraged me and she gave me stuff to read. And she would send me like just knickknacks from movies. And it just made me, you know, again, I, I, I say, you know, like I'm a hillbilly in Hollywood and I definitely, you know, grew up, you know, I'm a fucking hillbilly. Like, I'm sorry if I, I'm sure if I can't. Dude, you can swear. You can swear. Okay, good. I tend not to swear in real life, but then you get me on a podcast and I'm like, ah, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I was just like little, this hillbilly and I, you know, and, and I still hold on to that kind of, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, the morals and the standards that my mama raised me with. But um, 
you know, you don't, you don't give up when you're younger, but this kind of encouragement was like so special. And then I went to college um, in Berea College, which is a fantastic college in Kentucky that I, I always praise. I think everybody that's looking for a place to send their kids should look into Berea College. Um, and I studied acting there. And my sophomore year, I, did, there, I, I was able to finagle between all these different grants and stuff, a summer internship to New, to New York to study at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And when I went there, uh, Joy asked me if I wanted to intern at New Line over the summer. So I got to intern at New Line Cinema and I was 19 years old and I ended up getting an acting agent and I was at New Line and I was like, hey, if I stay at New Line, can I still work here? And they were like, yeah. So then I was like, I'm staying in New York. Um, Was this like your first job ever? I mean, I... I mean, being 19, probably not, but... Uh... My first job was McDonald's, um, where I was known as the best bun boy. Because um, yeah. they had me work in the bun machine. Um, so that was... But, um, and, the, and actually, when I worked at Berea, the one thing I loved about Berea is um, you don't pay tuition when you go there, but you work 40 hours a week in some something related to what you're doing um to to cover your tuition so i also was a this helped a lot i ended up working as a waiter at boone tavern which is like berea's like you know fancy restaurant um so i I learned all the waiting skills that i would need to be an actor slash any other entertainer in the business um so i worked at boone tavern but uh the internship at new line was definitely my first um job in the industry because i did have to take a waiter job when i got to new york uh because the internship wasn't paid but once i decided to stay on they decided to create a floater position for me which meant that i could kind of fill in for all the executive assistants when they're bought when they you know when they needed vacation so they actually created a full-time job for me at new line when it was clear that i was going to stay there these guys really just took you under their wing i mean from from childhood to what a good people, man. Yeah, you know what? And 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 it it was. I always talk to people about it because it was a different time back then. I, the the things that I love, and this kind of ties into indie indie filmmaking, is you know Bob Shea started New Line by taking John Waters films around to college campuses and showing them. Um, so he he would that's how he started his company as more of a distribution company. And I think Alone in the Dark and Nightmare on Elm Street were the first couple of films he got into to actually producing. And he was a film lover, like he loved movies. And again, I got him at the right time. Um, there is another Jeff Katz, who I found out years later, um, read my story. And then he wrote Bob in L.A. and did the same thing, which which is great. <laughs> I love Jeff Katz, too. But I, I was blessed that I hit them at the right time where they weren't so big that they could do this, but yeah, but Bob, um, even making that first effort was amazing. And then joy was one of the most wonderful women I've ever known. And she was so like, she never, I, I tried not to bug her, but you know, when you're young and, you know, and I see it now when I'm, I deal with, with, you know, 
starting out screenwriters and stuff like that you're very impatient and you want stuff and you you know so you try not to bug them too much but she she was so gracious and yeah they were wonderful and i remember just a funny story but i remember i was interning for for um one lady and um in development and i messed up something um you know, because I didn't really know, you know, I didn't know anything about the... Right, and you're filling in for, a, it sounds like, a vast majority, a, a vast amount of people. Yeah, yeah, but this this this, this first time was just with, with, before I got the floater position. Oh. This was me starting off with her, but I didn't, you know, I had not worked in a, in a proper office before, you know, I'd been a waiter and stuff, so I messed up one thing, and, and she yelled at me and was <laughs> like, if you do this again, you're going to get fired. And so I was just upset, and Joy's like, "What's wrong?" And I told her happened. And, and Joy's like, "I'm gonna slap that bitch in the face." And I was like, "Damn, yeah. Joy, don't don't slap the bitch in the face, please. Um, I can handle this." But um, New Line was always a very support. I mean, I I have such a soft spot for that company, and um, especially in its heyday when it was against run by so many film lovers. Like that's a thing that you don't see at the studio level anymore. I feel like with most people, um, a lot of the people running the studios are business people that have been brought in, you know, because once a company gets so big, you start bringing business people in who start looking at everything from a very formulaic kind of, you know, well, now everything has to have a big IP behind it, or it has to be a a sequel or a remake or a reboot. And I grew up in the glory days when it was like, you know, New Line made house party when everybody was like, who wants to see a movie about a bunch of black people having a house party? Well, a lot, you know, they did Blade, which is actually the first black Marvel superhero movie. Um, You know, all props to Black Panther, but Blade was the first one. And um, The Mask, I mean, they did so many movies that every studio is like, are you guys crazy? Nobody's going to see this movie. And they just were creative enough that they were like, yes, they will. <laughs> and, you know, Jim Carrey, they blew Jim Carrey up. And yeah, oh, I love the company. That, the Mask was a big film. Oh, huge. And everybody thought they were crazy for making it. They're like, you're spending so much money on this. And and yes. Well, and Dumb and Dumber. Uh, yeah. It's like what you said. These are film lovers. And, and I think by having so many business people in there, we're always getting the same films that come out. Mm-hmm. And they're not bad films by any means, but it's just, they always feel safe. Right. Yeah. And they're there to make a profit. And, and uh, I think that just really takes some of the magic away from filmmaking and, and thank God for, for platforms for independent creators. Yes. Who unfortunately oftentimes they don't have a very large budget, but they could tell a story. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing when you, especially when your first movie comes out, as a studio movie and this kind of a success you do kind of chase that dragon for a long time but because i worked at a studio i'll tell you just because i think this is good advice for indie filmmakers um the one piece of advice that i i tell people so many times is there were so many times that i was at new line even new line where and this was more once they started getting more corporate and brought in more corporate people to to make decisions along with bob but you know, we would get a really great script in from an unknown writer, and then we'd get a mediocre script in that had, you know, Jim Carrey attached or some other star. I'm not picking on Jim Carrey, but some other star attached, and they would make this movie with this star attached. 
So I learned from an early age that the quality, you know, whether or not somebody makes your movie, it, there are so many other factors based on that final decision that you can't attach your value as a creative person to whether or not a studio wants to make your film, right. you know, because I, I did that for a long time when I was younger, you know, especially when you write, like you, if you take every rejection personally, and then I, I learned early on it's, and it's still not fun. <laughs> like it's still not fun to get past, have your script passed on, but I've learned to separate my ego from other people's decisions. And I think that that's, what's allowed me to stay sane, honestly, in this business and not, you know, become this like bitter, you know, person that, or somebody who's quit the business and stuff like that. Like, as I, I've really learned to separate because it does, it only takes that one person. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but every time you read a story, even Nightmare on Elm Street, every studio passed on it and New Line took a chance on it. And then look what we have now, you know, and that happened like with Barbarians and other, most of my references are going to be horror, but you know, Barbarians, same thing. Every studio passed on it. Um, and then uh, my buddies at Boulder Light, with Roy, with um, not yeah, with Roy Lee, like they ended up getting the money together and shooting it in Bulgaria, and like there's no way you could sell that script to a studio. I don't, I'm not going to spoil Barbarians, but it's just not structured. It's not structured like a traditional movie. Oh, and especially the twist it took within the first yeah hour. I it it threw me like I really didn't know what I was getting into, and I, I'm yeah. not going to like put any spoilers or anything, but. And I know you know what part I'm talking about. You know? Oh, yeah. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the thing is, if we, if I wrote that and sent that off, like, I would get, people would pass on it because they'd be like, well, wait a minute. Let's just, yeah. And it all ties, it all works and it all ties together. It's a fuck. it's one of my favorite movies, uh, one of my favorite horror movies in, in a long time. I, I um, liked where it was going and I like where it went. But there's a part of me that also wanted to see the original path that it was going because I, yes. was, I was getting spooked bad. Oh yeah, this dude's bad. This dude's this, this dude's got to be a horrible person, and I'm a big true crime buff. So yeah. Like, oh my god. Oh my god. And then all of a sudden that happened. I'm like, whoa. And it was fun. You know, it was a fun film. Uh, oh, and I saw it in a theater. Like that's the that's the first time since that little girl had an accident with a telephone pole and the. <laughs> And hereditary oh, that um that i've literally screamed in the theater like <laughs> in, in in barbarians like yeah i know it's exactly what scene you're talking about and i was like holy wow <laughs> um yeah so but that's the thing is like though that's an indie film and again it took persistence and it took like literally having every place Big studios, small studios, every place passing on it until they found that one place. Yeah. So persistence is so key. And also not letting yourself get devastated when you get a pass. You I, know? Have, I have allowed myself to get hurt a few times. And it yeah. could be like a negative review of something that I made. It could be a, a friend saying that, you know, they were going to uh, read your book or who knows what, right? Oh yeah, and it, it's little things, and I had to learn myself. I had to learn to like separate myself from that because nobody's wanting to hurt your feelings. 
It's just they're not vested like you are in what you have created. Yeah. And well, I think there are people on there are people online that love to leave, leave reviews that not, definitely want to hurt your feelings. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> there are definitely trolls out there that want to hurt your feelings, but constructive criticism I think is great because it makes you grow. Yeah. Um, but I still do the same thing. I, I did a, sh a short uh, Good Samaritan and I just for some reason went back and read some of reviews that had popped up in the last year because I hadn't checked them out. And some of them were like hitting the film at an angle that I to that totally wasn't, I didn't feel was valid, but I knew I couldn't really argue with the people about it. But it kind of bummed me out because, yeah, I still get bummed out. Oh, and it's your baby, man. I mean, you, you, yeah. you want this thing life and hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and days you're thinking about this project and you're sculpting it to make it the closest you could spit out of your brain to yeah. how you want to see it and then for people just to kind of like shit on it it's like damn yeah <laughs> that's why i try I, i've been very you know and there may be an example somewhere where i failed at this but i if i don't like a movie I'll talk to my friends about it, but I, that's why I don't get online and and yeah. tweet or post or, or or if I don't like a movie because I know so I, not even just all the hard work that goes into it, but I also know that there's the movie that the writer wrote, there's a movie that the director shot, there's a movie that was edited. A lot of times the producers come in and the studio comes in and completely re-edits a film. You know, like I think Zack Snyder's, you know cut us you know is like one of the busy you know just one of the most obvious examples um so a lot of times the movie that's that everybody started off with just evolves into something that's not that's outside of everybody's control unless you're like james cameron where you have like complete creative like control over something and only 99.5 percent of of directors have that you know it's a very small percentage, I would think. Yeah. Spielberg might be another one of them. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know if George Lucas would have that today, to tell you the truth. Uh, maybe. I think so. I'm always joking. I, lo I love George Lucas. I do. For all the things that he's created. Um, but I, th I think he's got a lot of, I think he's probably got a lot of control because it, it feels like a lot of his, his stuff is like, um... I'll tell you my beef with George Lucas. Okay. Um, this is personal. This is just personal. Because uh -huh. when I was young and I watched the first three Star Wars, I was like, this is fucking awesome. And then I read that he was going to do three prequels. And even though I'm young, I'm thinking, all right, it took 10 years. It took so many years for these three movies to come out. And I know that Darth Vader's going to end up being bad. Like, I know how this is going to end. So now I'm going to have to wait another 15 years of watching prequels to get to new stories i want to be like 40 or 50 when the new stories come out which and the, so that kind of irked me a little bit because i'm like <laughs> prequels can be okay but don't don't waste decades you know like just yeah. get us some new stories yeah and that's one thing i like what disney's doing there's a we're getting way off topic but well but this is important oh. we're talking about star wars uh the uh the the new stuff how should i put this so back to how not to shit on a film right 
Yeah. Because what they have made is something that I'm pretty certain I could never make. Uh, there's a lot of talent that went in that. It was a mm-hmm. beautiful film. It, it just gorgeous looking. Yeah. But there's there's elements in it that just really shut me down, and, and it had to do with the the unfolding of the story, and that one had to yeah. do with the the last three films that came out of the last trilogy. But they're making all of these television shows now, and oh man, I'm all about it. Yeah. Mandalorian. Wow, that was rad. Yeah, no, The Mandalorian was great. Uh, Boba Fett was great when The Mandalorian was in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like Boba Fett. And all, yeah, it was okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, now we're like telling The Mandalorian story. Now everything's really awesome again. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but there's so many, it's funny because there's so many books now and so there's so much backstory that he created for all these characters that i think a lot of the stories are delving into the backstory which is great but for me if i'm watching something i kind of want to know like i loved rogue one oh yeah loved it loved it loved it loved it loved it but now it's like with andor it's a great series but we kind of know what's going to happen. You know, so you kind of know his fate so when there's like some drama going on where is he going to lose his life no, because yes. we know how he dies. <laughs> yes. So, but anyway, um, yeah. The, I mean, of course, Star Wars is like the ultimate indie film. So we're we're still on topic, man. It's and that, and that was kind of my point too, because I mean, you had this. If you watch the 4K version of Star Wars Episode Four, right, the very first one that came out, mm-hmm. I swear you can see spray paint on like R two D two and C three PO. I mean, it, there's runs, and so if you watch that and you can tell like love was put into this now when you see the newest films that came out i'm not saying love wasn't put into this but it was very business i felt like i was watching a tiktok video it yeah. was boom 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 even light speed was you know five minutes you're at your destination what is when is you're watching four it, it took them a day or so to get there they just kind of cut ahead though but you knew there was a, a passage of time yeah, yeah. So there's just like little things like that that irked me. And let's not even get in on Snoke because that really irked me. And I felt like the last three, the very last one, they were like, oh, he was this guy the entire time. Fooled you. I'm like, no, yeah. you pulled that out of your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't. Yes, you didn't pull. Yes, absolutely. You didn't pull. Very business feeling, not, yeah. not story feeling. Well, I think that's what happens when, and, and I was, it was so funny that, and, we won't talk about stuff. Well, and we can, but um, but I was talking to a friend about Star Wars, and and the thing it's like you know with George Lucas and James Cameron, they've created you know because he focused so much of his career too on creating all this amazing groundbreaking technology, um, which is amazing. It's great. So it's 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 a weird thing where I think his focus is you know he's got a lot of people writing stuff for him too. But he created ILM. I mean, he's like, or Lucasfilms. I'm I'm gonna say something wrong, and some nerd's gonna yeah, hate me on hate me on the internet. That's okay. Um, I'm a nerd too, so I can say nerd. Um, but you know, he's done so much for the advancement of like the technical aspects, and I think when they enhance a story, the same thing with James Cameron. Like, I mean, James Cameron's movies, like he's done some of the best, the the best movies and the best sequels ever 
<laughs> like, I mean, but he's also very mindful of like pushing technology and what he can do on screen. So, um, well, I mean, I I was kind of nervous for him when this new Avatar movie came out. I thought, as this time already passed. Because it was a big deal at the time, but it was also everything was new. The 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 CG, all of that was just like, whoa. And now here we are, many many years later. I thought, is this going to seem stale? Is, are people going to care? But people are watching it. I haven't seen it yet, but people are saying I should. I haven't seen it yet, and people are saying I should too. So um, I I I probably I'm probably going to catch it. Yeah, it, it is funny. Like I that was my thing too. Is like, are people because it's been so long. But then I thought, honestly, I thought the same thing about the Top Gun um, sequel is it was such a phenomenon, but I'm like, are pe- but Tom Cruise is like the biggest star in the world. So, but I still was like, are people gonna, you know, is, is are people gonna care about the story this, this many years later? And it's great when they do, you know, it's great when they do. I was um, surprised at how well it did. I still haven't seen it. And uh, I guess I should. Yeah, I have. It's I can't let you just take that bullet alone. I haven't seen it either, but I have a sc- <laughs> I have a screener of it, so I'm gonna wa- I'm I'm gonna watch it. Um, <laughs> it's in your possession, at least. Yeah, so I'm I I will probably I will give it a because I know it's going to be a good feel good movie. And again, Tom Cruise, I I just he's just he's a he's I'm not gonna say he's one of the last movie stars, but he's like he's a fucking movie star like well, he, he's definitely ranking up there with old school movie stars like Cary grant and i don't know john wayne just just he's he i don't he is who he is right you know he's just he's tom cruise i don't know how else to put it yeah no and he get i mean he's you know he does his own he's just obviously super de- yeah anyway um he does a lot of indie movies too Right, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, that's how that's how we're plugging this together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, well, we should probably get back on topic here. Uh, yeah, I could talk to you all day. Uh, all right. So, let's see. Okay. Now, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, don't. But do you remember at all what your treatment was that you sent to Bob Shea regarding the prequel? I don't, and that's a. I mean, I I remember, I remember. Because here's the thing: I wrote it. This was back in the day when you had onion paper, you know, which was super thin paper, and if you had a typo, you had to like put white out over it. And it was um, the. I just remember it was very generic. Like it was pretty much like what what they did with Freddy's Nightmare. It was teenagers you know, in Springwood Elementary were being like, I made them, te- I didn't make them kids though, I made them teenagers, um, but they knew some kids were missing and they started to investigate and then they discovered it was Freddy and then he ended up getting burned by the parents because he got arrested and then the last, you know, the main character has a nightmare where he pops up the end and is like, ah. Um, yeah. So it wasn't the most original thing but I was 14 <laughs> so, but I wish I had kept it you know it's it's not that I didn't even keep it it's just that I I had a box of stuff that I left um in store in the storage area which is basically just an attic of my old dorm 
in Kentucky. And when I went back years later um, to get the stuff, like some some of the stuff, some of the boxes had been, you know, yeah, had been been gone through. And so that was one of the things that's got lost to time. Um, so, the, but I, I just remember it was a basic, I mean, it's a, it's a story that a 14 year old would come up with. Right. right. But um, it, it still showed something to new line to say, Hey, let's, let's take this, let, let's coach this kid. And... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had some cool, like imaginative stuff in it. Yeah. The ending sounded legit. It sounded you know very plausible. What would happen, you know, just wake up and the kids like in a nightmare and then cut from there. And then you go into the, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, and I just remember, you know, I think Bob was very correct in like, um, you know, just learning script structure. Cause I didn't, I'd only seen a treatment, so I hadn't obviously never written a script before. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're at new line. You're, you're probably, I would imagine besides the, besides new line helping you out. Now you're entering at new line. Are you tinkering on some new stories? Have you always been sort of a story writer? Uh, because at some point, the idea for Final Destination must have like got into your head. And, and like, was there something leading up to that that where you're just like, whoa, this is really cool? Uh, um, that was years later. Um, I When I was in high school, I wrote like a superhero script that was very much like an X-Men ripoff um, <laughs> before the movies came out. Uh, and actually my first job um, out of, um, when I moved to New York was writing a prequel or a sequel to Pumpkinhead. Um, I got hired by MPCA to write a write a sequel to Pumpkinhead, which I was super excited about. And then they, like they, had, had, they had somebody else write the sequel. And then they went with the other sequel because the, I think the other sequel didn't, there was something wrong with the rights where they couldn't talk about Pumpkinhead. Um, and so they ended up putting out the one the version they have where it's like they don't call him Pumpkinhead and it's a different backstory. Oh. Um, so that was my first job. Um, and then, yeah, then I started thinking about Friday. That, yeah, I mean, then now I'll get into a little bit of Final Destination. Hold on one second, okay, Gary? Yeah, yeah, bud. Hey, sorry about that, brother. That's all right. Dude. Um, that's what the edit button's for. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so um, and we don't have to get heavily into into Final Destination. I know it's not a uh, independent film. Or yeah, was the first one independent. The first, or... yeah, the first one. No, they weren't independent. They okay. that it was a studio film, but you know, I super short story. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, this is. This is how you got your footing really into into writing, isn't it? It's how I it's the first yeah, it's a it was my first studio produced film, yes. And and was and did very well. So I'm very, very proud of it. Um it just a super quick interesting thing is I originally used the concept to get an agent, so I wrote it as an X Files spec script. Okay. And I got an agent off the script, but I didn't send it to New Line or to the uh, network for, for the X Files. Like that's one of the kind of misconceptions over time is that it 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 went to the X Files, you know, production company. Um, 
but yeah, no, it never, I never sent it to them because my friends at New Line were like, this is a great idea for a feature. So I wrote a treatment. Originally, it was all adults. And then Scream came out, which I, one of my favorite movies oh, yeah. um, as well. And then they were like, well, we should make them all teenagers because teenagers are hot again. So I'm like, fine. So I made them teenagers um, and developed it and went through a lot of development. The studio was very hesitant because they're like, we don't understand how you can have a movie with death as the killer, you know. No physical, no physical bad guy. <laughs> yeah, no physical bad guy. Um, I did I did at one point compromise where we had kind of like, it was more like the angel of death. So it was it was a very, or the original draft was a not much more Nightmare on Elm Street-y. And then you kind of saw this figure at the, you know, at the end of the, film for a brief moment um but i but I, you know we had fought them for so long and i'm so glad that when james wong and glenn morgan who ironically worked on some of my favorite episodes of the x-files came on board to do it um they did a rewrite and directed it and they took out yeah they they made sure there was no no deathly figure you know just popping up except for that one little shadow in the bathroom but um it's that but yeah, that's just, and, and part of this is always, part of this is like more advice too. Like I always tell people like when I was 14 and when I wrote that prequel idea, like I didn't know how the business worked. I didn't have any master plan. I just did something. Cause it, I've always noticed that things may not work out like you want them to when you write something specifically, but it'll often pay off down the road in ways you don't see. So you should never go chasing trends like, oh, because movies that are coming out right now, most of them took years to make and were in development for years. So by the time the movie comes out, there's already a bunch of other people who've read those scripts and know they're coming out of started copying them. So if you wait till a movie comes out and you're like, oh, found footage is all the rage. They've already got about 20 found footage scripts floating around before that other one even came out. So it's it's always good, I think, to write what you're passionate about. Um, but, you know, when I wrote the, you know, Final Destination, X-Files was just my favorite show on TV, and I loved the concept. And if I had submitted it to the show and it got picked up, that could have changed everything. But my friend at New Line's like, this is a great idea. You should do this as a feature. Um, that person who who saw it and said that that was Mark. That was Mark Kaufman. I always give him credit. Well, and um, life would have took a radical, a different turn, maybe. Yeah, and um, and also my friend Brett Leitner at New Line is the one who came up with the with the title because originally it was called Flight One Eighty, and I knew that you know because obviously you hope there's a f franchise, so I knew like we couldn't call a sequel Flight One Eighty two or flight you know what i'm saying right. so i knew we needed to change the title and it was funny because i know the directors didn't want to change the title but one of my friends uh uh brett leitner at new line came in one day because he just flown back and he's like i got the title for your movie i'm like what he goes final destination he goes they all planes always say that when you land and that's your final destination on this earth is when you die and i was like holy shit that's a great day. so um yes so thanks i i always give Bob Shea, Joy Man, <laughs> credit for my for my career at New Line, and then I also give Mark and and Brett credit for like for Mark for convincing me to like not give this in as a TV show, and then 
Brett for the wonderful title. Um, Rarely is get a lot of ribbing on that. A lot of people (laughs) nudging or events happening to to make things happen. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you, you want that around you, especially even when you're an, an independent filmmaker, it's, it's very important to kind of find your people. And I mean, you've got to find that supportive group of people that kind of can check their egos at the door that want the best for a project and realize that kind of elevating you and then you elevating them helps everybody. Like I see, especially in the indie world, um, I've been burned a lot. You know what I'm saying? Not like personally, I'm just saying like, with projects falling apart because somebody gets involved who is talks a good game, but is just trying to line their pockets as much as they can. And they don't care about the film. And you just, there's a lot of that stuff you have to navigate in the world. So when you find a kind of a good group of people that you trust, Mm -hmm. um, I always say, keep those people close. Um, And also definitely it's a small business, whether it's the independent world or, or the big studio world, it's a really small world. Um, and so if, if there's a, if you, if there's a point in your life, which you will, there will be many where it's like, well, we can make your movie, but we need you to fuck over this person and this person, this person don't do it. Oh, hell no. Um, because I've seen way too many people do that to my friends and colleagues. And that word just gets around. Like you may get, be able to get away with that for a couple of times by being like shady or underhanded and, and whatever it takes. Um, but your reputation is really, I mean, talent is so important, but your reputation is everything in this business. Um, and I feel like that's with like any industry though, like mm-hmm. working at a school, that's, that's how I make my income. And I spend that check on making my films, but that's what, that's what we're here for. But it seems like, now I haven't, but I've seen people do some really mean stuff and it does come back later on down the line. It might be a year. It might be five years down the line, but somebody gets married to someone or someone has a baby with someone or, or someone gets another position. And the next thing, you know, they remember what that person did to them or someone they like. Yeah. It all comes crashing down. Yeah. No, man. No, you, you can't be screwing people over. Uh, no, no and there are too many good people um there are too many good people wanting to make films out there who are willing to put in the blood sweat and tears as long as you know you're not taking advantage of them like find those people like we're all working um, hard we're all scared i mean you you took some some big leaps you left you left your hometown and you went to new york to stay i mean it was probably a little nerve-wracking and if somebody was slitting your throat while you were trying to do your job you would have probably came back home and, and your dreams would have been dashed. But instead, you know, that didn't happen. Thank God you had, you were surrounded by nice people, but there's filmmakers out there who are just, you know, they're just trying their hardest to, to yeah. make it. And there's some people who want to take a shortcut and there isn't any shortcuts. There aren't any shortcuts. And the thing is, there aren't any, the, 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 the scary part is you almost have to take, because the landscape has changed so much with the streaming services now. And, and, but now they're all merging. And so they're firing people like, the landscape is changing so much that that's why I think it's important to make films that are important to you. Um, obviously it, you want it to find an audience, but there's a, I think a lot of people make the mistake again of try of trying to 
well, I'll make this kind of movie. We saw this a lot of times in the 80s and stuff where directors are like, well, I'll do a horror movie because I know it'll make money for and put my name out there, but then I'm never going to make horror movies again. Um, but if you're, you've got to, I think if you make films that you're passionate about, because we're all human beings at the end of the day and we're all going through similar stuff, like it's finding that universal humanity or connection that your project has with everybody else because if you because that's what your voice is your voice is like telling a story through your life experiences and how you view the world like that's what your voice is that's what makes your writing different than any other writer because no other writer in this world has gone through what you've gone through thinks the same way that you do acts the same way that you do has the same friends as you do if you base characters off of friends so that's where I think it's important. Like when you're telling stories, like tell a story that you want to watch, like tell a story that you're like, Oh, I wish this is a kind of, you know, I love romantic comedies, but this is a kind of romantic comedy I would like to see. I like dramas, but I, I, this is a, you know, this is a kind of story that I would like to see, um, that I, I would like to see. I feel if you're being true to yourself, that mm -hmm. you are absolutely putting your best foot forward at that point. Yes. Like trying to appease something that you think other people would want. Yeah. Yeah. Because trying to guess what other people want. People it's people are fickle, you know, and times change. And I think if you make a sincere movie, it will find an audience. Cause again, there are hundreds of millions of people in this country alone and billions around the world. So there's a good chance if you're telling a story that's intriguing and again it and just again any so many things I mean, because we all want the same things as people so if you're touching on any of those wants that people have or fears that people have like there's people out there that sh so many people out there that share those same feelings of you know either insecurity or people are dealing with addiction or mental health issues there's so many things um and sometimes people just want to laugh too you know so it's I think it's just telling stories that you get excited about because that excitement comes across on the page when you're writing. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, that's exactly why I, you know, not a lot of people read my stuff or watch my stuff, but I don't market it either. You know, that's just not even in my wheelhouse to do that. And people say, you know, why do you spend so much time on this, you know, writing a book or, or why are you making these films that are costing you thousands of dollars? And the, at the end of the day, it's like, because I wanted to watch it. And some people don't understand that, but I'm having a good time. You only live once. So yeah. I'm doing what I want to do. And, and, you know, my friends have seen it and, and some of my work and they're like, dude, this is really great. I'm like, thanks, man. And that's enough for me to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, I really like my job. And if, if this is the way my life continues, I'm cool with that. That's great. And uh, yeah, it's all about doing what you love and, and putting your, putting your best foot forward out there. Um, speaking about, doing what you love because you have so many productions um let's talk about what you love is there a film that you've made and i i have a guess i think i might know what it is but do you have a film that you wrote and made that was really personal to you like you you put your best you put yourself into it if that makes sense yeah uh tamra Okay, I was I was betting on Tamra. <laughs> um, yeah, Tamra 
was was a very personal film and and it, and it came from two places it came from a place of everybody after final destination was like bring us something else like final destination which is you know i'm like oh you mean the film that nobody thought could be made <laughs> um, <laughs> um and then i would come up with some other ideas um like we'll, we'll talk about that later but don't look back originally um i made it more as a mystery but the original version of that was the same setup where people see people getting assaulted and don't help. Um, And then in my original version, karma came after them. So whatever reason they didn't help, like came back on them, like supernaturally, like threefold. So it was very much in the vein. And they're like, that's too much like final destination. And then I was like, screw you people. I'm going to go write something I want to write. And Tamara was personal to me because first of all, it's, it, it, it is an homage to Carrie. Um, Carrie really struck me when I read it because, you know, it's a story about a, about a bullied girl. And I think we can all go through that. I mean, I, um, growing up in Eastern Kentucky, I mean, again, I would not change the experience for the world. Um, I love the people there, but when I first moved down there, my mom, you know, my dad's black and my mom is white. So when we moved down there, um, it was like me, my sister, and two other non-white kids from grade zero through college. Um, so they had never seen anybody who wasn't white there. So we went through horrible racism. Like, just like you would think it was like, you know, 60s before the civil rights movement. And a lot, you know, and I'm not trying to like paint the area, but you know, the thing that my mom told me, which really stuck with me, which is, um, I think an important lesson that people still need to understand is, you know, she told me, she said, these people aren't bad people. She said, they're just ignorant and that they've never seen anybody like you before. And every exposure they've had to people of color has been like negative stuff they've seen on TV and in movies, like, and heard in schools, you know, like, I mean, I was taught in school that the civil civil war was over state rights, you know, they mentioned slavery for a second. But this was kind of like the educational system we we had too growing up. Um, so but I, what I what I saw is like, over time, like, the racism that these people had, like started fading away as they it took time. It took a long time. And when you're young, it hurts. But the racism faded away over time, especially with the younger people, because they started realizing like, oh, all this shit that we've been told isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I always joke that when calling me the N-word uh, went out of vogue in like probably my freshman year or sophomore year in high school, is when people started really like if somebody would call me or my sister that people would start yelling at them so then they kind of latched on the fact that i was gay and i wasn't out out but i was kind of out so they kind of knew i was gay so then that's when the homophobia kicked in um god dude so, oh that it was it's fine it, it, it's, I don't it's, think so. <laughs> well, when i say it's fine i mean it it wasn't as it wasn't as bad you because again, you kind of adapt to the situations that you're in. And I don't want to make it sound like, I mean, it, it, it was bad in general, but the thing is, I still, I did have a core group of friends. Um, 
especially the the people that I watched my horror movies with all the time and and one of them happened to be popular so that didn't that helped a little bit um it's just you know it's just like when you go out you know when you go out shopping and you're getting followed around the store or people will drive by and like you know shout you know people follow you around the store oh yeah well, yeah for why um i that they thought I was going to steal something out. It's just oh, ridiculous. oh, okay. Just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Um, but again, a lot of it, a lot of it is, and and that's what people don't even understand about racism today. Is a lot of it. It's it was it's been so ingrained in our culture. Like the civil rights movement happened in the late sixties. Like I was born in sixty nine. Like so, I was born the. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it wasn't that long ago, and so yeah. for all of the cities where people don't experience it like they don't know what life is like in a lot of these rural areas where again a lot of people just haven't been exposed to it um to people that aren't like them and they've been taught to fear them and they've been taught you know what i'm saying i'm not um, sure i would have come out as well adjusted as you have because i think i would have just i think i would have hated everybody it, it growing up i'm not saying like every day was hell for you maybe it was i don't know but mm -hmm. if, if people are throwing little things at me at all times, eventually, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'd be as nice as you were today. <laughs> well, it, that was my coping mechanism. To be honest, that was my coping mechanism. You know, it was like being the nice guy, being telling jokes, being funny. My sister, uh, my sister, on the other hand, would punch people. Uh, she joined the military. She's, she still serves. Um, I'm very proud of her um so she she joined the military and she, she still got a she still got a short fuse i will say that um but she processed things a lot differently than i did um and so she's she's got a lot of that you know she's got a lot of that residual like anger well how, however however you take it in and, and spit it out it's always going to be an offensive somehow so if you're being nice if you're being polite, that's a way to shut them down. Her, on the other hand, if she's punching them out, that's her way of shutting them. Yeah, down. yeah. Like I, 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 I'm guessing I've never been in your shoes, so I don't know. But I'm, I'm just thinking if I was being bullied, because that is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine for I, I would guess that's how you felt. I, I just, I'll never know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I certainly felt bullied, but the, the thing is, I, again, I think my, my mom, my mom helped a lot because again, the way that she, the way that she framed things was open my eyes to not look at people in black and white as like good or evil. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also my, you know, my faith helped a lot in this, you know, like I'm a Baha'i and like one of our you know, our, our kind of main teaching is like, you know, the oneness of, of mankind and the equality of the races and the equality of the genders. And, you know, this religion started in the Middle East, you know, like 150 some years ago. So even though now we're like, oh, this stuff seems kind of like normal. But if you can imagine people in the Middle East talking about women and men being equal and the equality of races 150 years ago, um, that was not on anybody's radar. So, so my faith really helped me through 
but my mom's again my mom's wisdom on how not to look at people you know as evil i mean there are evil people out in the world but somebody who's raised ignorant and i don't mean stupid i mean ignorant as in lack of experience and knowledge yeah um you can't blame them that's one of the things i you know i still get in some conversations with people today where it's like you know especially when you yeah it's easy when you grew up in los angeles or new york or some big city it's easy to say well people should know better by now you know what i'm saying but it's like when you live out in rural america um and you still don't have any experience with people who are a different race than you or, or gay like you're still the only knowledge you're getting is from what you're hearing and you know they're living in a fishbowl really i mean you're living in a fishbowl and you don't understand that there are still like i um you know like growing up like i remember i remember you know when vanessa williams was crowned miss america like i remember reading about all the hate mail that they got and how it was like you're destroying you know miss america you're destroying the whole meaning of this you know and i remember when um jamie lee curtis was on a tv guide magazine cover um and willie holt the the athlete was like holding him on her shoulders and that caused a big stir and when ronald reagan came out about welfare queens you know i'm in eastern kentucky where like everybody on welfare was white but when ronald reagan was talking about welfare welfare queens he was clearly talking about like black people in the cities Uh and so i would hear all the white people on welfare in Kentucky, and this is the same in, in all these like rural states where they were always, you know, they're talking about, yeah, all those black people like taking all the well, and it's like, you're, you're literally on food stamps, sir. You're literally on food stamps. And, um, and so you, you kind of see like over the arc of my life, like I keep seeing the same kind of shit being repeated where it's like, this is a little off topic, but it still ties into bullying where, you know, the most knee-jerk the best knee-jerk reaction to do is to stir up racism and homophobia and i think we saw the you know i remember reading an article like four years ago where like a political strategist said that critical race theory would be a good wedge issue to bring up before the election and it's after the strategist said that all of a sudden critical race theory started going you know it's like blew up everywhere and now when that didn't really pay off there have been some you know postmortems on the election and and they realized that the critical race theory thing didn't really catch on like they wanted it to so now they're going after drag queens you know and drag shows mm-hmm. you know so it's always gay people <laughs> it always feels like black and gay people and you know brown people are like always you know kind of the go-to boogeyman whenever they want to start cultural things and it's like i think some people feel better than others i i've always just kind of thought that uh yeah if if they could honestly if they'd honestly sit and think to themselves block everything else out and just think to themselves and have their own answers what does it matter if you're a different color or if 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 you want to be with if you want to be with somebody of the same sex, what does it matter? Right. And I think that I, I, I have these conversations with people still. And cause my, my thing is like, 
we don't have to agree on stuff, but let's let's sit down and have an actual conversation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in this day and age don't want to do that anymore. You know what I'm saying? They want to like if somebody says the wrong thing or, or heaven forbid somebody tweeted something 15 years ago when the world was much different. You know, it's like, let's ruin this person. And it's like, you know, it just doesn't help. It doesn't help. But back to bullying. Um, it's it still happens. Um, just one example, and then I'll shut up about it. But um, but like David Archuleta, who was one of the American Idol winners, who was amazing, amazing singer. Um, he came out a couple of years ago and, you know, he talked about how he had because he grew up in a very religious family and they told him he was going to go to hell, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, he, he, you know, seriously contemplated suicide and yeah. And this is like a 20, I think he's 26 now, but this is somebody now, you know, and, and I've met so many people, like I just mentioned this, but, um, you know, people are like, Oh, why, you know, why do you have to, tell people that you're gay and stuff like that. It's like, you know what, I've I've literally over the course of my career, I've had about seven or eight people come up to me who were like, you know, I grew up in a small town and I felt so alone and isolated and, you know, I couldn't talk to my family and I thought about killing myself. And then I read an article where like the guy that created my favorite horror movie was gay and it gave me hope. And I'm like, you know what, I'd rather lose a hundred fans yeah. If I can help one person feel like less alone or especially if they get to the point where they feel so hopeless that they want to end their life. Like I'm not trying to like that. That's why I just think visibility, you know, and people being honest is important because we live in bubbles now where we think all of a sudden the world's a different place. And it really is until you really start visiting like all the other states <laughs> that aren't that I'm, aren't. I'm going to name drop, but I used to drop. I used to not name drop as a person might have been a person but i used to drive across the country a few times i used to build theatrical displays and and trade show displays or not theatrical displays theatrical shows and trade show displays and i would drive them across country we'd set up at the venue and it was a fun gig but we'd have to stay at multiple places along the way and i went to a town and i hope it's not like this anymore but i'm just going to say it It, it's called jennings louisiana Mm. and there was a definitive line down that main street where white people stayed on one side and black people stayed on the other. And this was 2012. Yeah. And it blew my mind. I didn't know what the hell I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing wrong. Right. Because I was on the side of the street with McDonald's with, with my coworkers and we're eating there and there's a bunch of black people in there. So what? And we start to kind of figure out we're not supposed to be on this side of the road. And the, don't get me wrong. Everybody was like super polite to us. But but we were getting a lot of looks, right? Yeah. And the other side of the road, we quickly found out if you weren't from around there, you weren't going to get service. And we stopped in a Shoney's at one point, which is like, if you're from California, it's a lot like Denny's. Yeah, yeah. And they sat us down, and that was it. And they interacted with the wait staff, interacted with everybody they knew, and about half an hour went by. And I finally looked at the guy and said, hey, you guys had enough of this shit? And they're just like, yeah. And so we got up to leave and a few people started laughing because we weren't from around there. And it was just, it just blows my mind at these little bubbles 
that are still out there. I'm like, what in the hell is going on with you people? It's well, very Stephen King, like just creepy as hell. Yeah, I mean, if you the thing is, if you look at the map of the of America, like those little bubbles are like everywhere, and it it is um part of it is part of it is because especially in these rural areas people kind of settle into like this is just the way the things are so we're fine with it like i remember there was a school there was a school i think it was in mississippi that had like a segregated prom um and it started off segregated from the jim crow shit you know separate but equal but the kids kind of had just kept it going up until maybe five years ago or six years ago i think they finally desegregated it but the kids that had grown up in this area and their families they just had accepted like this is this is how how it is and so you end up kind of playing along with the system you know that's why and then we can get back to indie filmmaking but this does this does though well it ties into it ties into yes it does um but that's like you know when people make fun of of like when Pete Buttigieg talks about, you know, railroads, you know, they're like, oh, he says railroads are, are racist. It's like railroads, we all, if you grew up in a small town, you always, there's a whole reason you say the right side of the tracks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like these people grew up on the right side of the tracks. You know, that usually meant white people or wealthy people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so there, there is with these tracks that run through these small towns, there is a divide um, between the, you know, the wealthy and the rich and then the black and the white. And, you know, again, it's like, we, we grew up in these bubbles again and we, we don't see that it's, you just have to take a trip across America and you can still find these places all over the place. And it's just like, you know, we're hopefully gonna get to a better place at some point. Um, but I think right now people are so, I would like to thank the upcoming generation. And I say this because I work at a school. And when I was a kid, I'm sure we had gay students there, but they would never speak up. Yeah. Now that it's a different world, we have social media, we have all this other stuff, which, you know, social media is a double-edged sword, but I'm not going to go into that. But yeah. at my school, I, I can see that everybody's just being people. They don't yeah. care what you look like. They don't care who you uh, identify as. They don't care who you want to be with. For the most part, there's still some of those little redneck kids out there. But, but for the most part, they're just friends, and I that really makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. So. No, and I I will say there were, it was funny. We did have one one out gay kid in my school who was like on the cheerleading team, but his brother was like a big bully. So if anybody picked on his brother if anybody picked on the cheerleader boy, like his brother would just beat them up. <laughs> yeah. So it's always, guess, nice to, it's always nice to have a brother that'll beat up bullies for you. Um, I guess we did have one guy, uh, uh, I won't say his name, but if you, if you end up watching my film, you'll, he's the star of it actually. And, but that's just him. Uh, I'll probably have him on the show at some point, but that's just him. Like that's just how he was born. The way he yeah. talks now was the way he talked back in, in grade school. And it's just yeah. who he is yeah and uh, he's a wonderful guy i was talking to him the other day just a just a real cool dude yeah um, so i'm hoping these bubbles start to pop with this new generation they will i mean they they absolutely will and um you know and that's part of the reason i think um 
I think, you know, cyberbullying has certainly gone up, but that's because a lot of people can just create fake profiles. And then you can just tell that all they do is sit on there, you know, all day, just trying to pick fights with people. Um, what but I, what yeah. I try to tell my scouts, I'm also a scout leader, or I try to tell my uh, girlfriend's kids is, is if somebody, because, well, I'm not going to say anything, but if somebody's treating you differently, and they're being mean to you, whether it's online or whatever, you really got to look at and think to yourself, it's not you. What is wrong with, that? Wrong with that person going on in that person's life to project yeah. so much hate out of, onto you that they actually feel better in some way about themselves by hurting you. And, and I don't think they really do feel better. Maybe it gives them a jolt of adrenaline or, or some, some type of synapse in their brain, like sparks up to make them feel better for a second. But at the end of the day, I, I would think they would feel worse about themselves. Yeah. I, I just yeah. don't. And I think, you know, again, with with films like, you know, hopefully you can start conversations on bullying. I mean, um, you know, that's certainly what I had I had hoped to do with with Tamara, um, because, again, you have to you have to engage like and that's the thing is we we're we've turned into a society now where it's like we want to shut out people. And that's the worst thing that you can do, because, you know, especially if you if you want to shut like the people that are really bad the people that you know people that get pulled into like these neo-nazi groups and shit like that these are people that are that feel like alone in the world that nobody's hearing them and if they if they have an ignorant perspective on one issue and then everybody around them is like fuck that person then you know what then these friggin hate groups are going to be like hey come over here weird you know what i'm saying like We're not helping. Yeah, I, my thing is always like, you know, I, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm like, you know, in my communications with anybody, it's like I'm I try to I'm trying to engage people, not enrage them. You know, I'm trying I don't try to go. I don't try to attack people because I know that doesn't help. I just try to like either posit a question to make them think, you know, and again, I'm not always right about stuff. I'm open to learning and thinking as well, but, you know, Anyway, that's yeah. No, but Tamara, Tamara definitely was my, and it's actually outside of Final Destination is is my favorite movie. That we had to. That was another. That was a movie that originally um, Lionsgate was going to put out. We were, we had like a five million dollar budget originally on that, and then um, one of the producer guys kind of came on, and his investor fell through, and then we ended up kind of cobble, cobbling it together for way cheaper. And shooting it in Winnipeg, so there were there were some definitely some things that we had to. Um, it didn't seem uh, cobbled together whatsoever. It looked like it was meant to go together. That oh way. no, it's. I mean, it looks really good. I think my biggest issue, like story, this is my biggest. Yeah, some of the effects stuff we couldn't do, um, but I think the the scene that bugs me the most, which um, is the 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 kind of frat boy bullies that you know, their whole backstory, you know, Tamara, for those who haven't seen it, you know, I love Carrie. I just don't like that. You have to wait to the last 15 minutes to watch her wreak havoc. So I wanted to kind of do a, a, a bullying story where the powerful, the bullied person can start getting vengeance a lot earlier. And um, she kind of uses each of the characters insecurities or sins against them. And so there are these two frat boys that have date raped women. And so in the movie, she puts a spell on them and she makes the one guy rape the other guy. And that was in the script. 
and Lionsgate love the script. And I get a call, you know, nobody says anything. And I, I get a call a day before they're shooting the film. And um, the director's like, well, how much do you want to show in this scene? And I said, well, it's, it's a rape scene. It's not a sex scene. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so yeah, show what you, if you were, if this was a woman, like show what you would show with that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's violent and it's, you know, mm-hmm. and then they showed me what they did with it. I, I picked up on that when I was watching this, I was like, huh. It, and it infuriated me because two things, one of the reasons is, you know, the actors chickened out, you know, and I'm like, again, tell them to do it or fire them. But then they have her, the scene starts with her making out with both of them, which she would never do because they murdered her and then they kiss and fall out of frame. And then the next time you see them, they're under the sheets in the bed with their clothes on. And I'm like, this is the complete opposite. Cause then a lot of reviews were like, aha, she made those rapey guys gay. And I'm like, no, that's, it is totally under, totally undermined what I wanted to do with that. Um, I can think of a few different ways they could have shot that. If if the actors were chickening out. Yes. I don't know what happened there, but it it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, because it just it it that was the biggest. Just because again, it sends the wrong message. You know, like you know, guys that date rape each other. Okay, they're gonna turn gay and start making out. Ooh, um, what a punishment! Um, <laughs> and and for who though? Because they're in this room. So oh, for, yeah, for cameras only amusement. If she wanted yeah. to humiliate them, she would have done it. They would have been in the living room or something. Yeah. Then yeah. she wanted to say, this is what it's like. Yes. And they didn't do it. Yeah. But yeah, Tamara is my, is my, is my, is my favorite film of, I think all my films in, you know, I had, and, and again, I, I, I have a special place in my heart for all, for everything that I've done. I've learned to even love the films that didn't turn out like I wanted them to, because again, a whole bunch of people put their blood, sweat, and tears into them. And, you know, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, I, 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 it's too, it's too easy to like, be like, oh, I hate this film because it didn't do this or that. I always tend to watch them for what they do do. And I'm not saying that they're all great. I would never be like, hey, go out and watch all my movies because they're all great. But I'm just saying that as somebody who's a writer and knows how hard it is to get a movie made, um, I've learned that you know i can find entertainment in pretty much every everything that i've written that's gotten made i can find it you know a reason to like it and enjoy it so well it's not a bad movie i mean by no no i i really like tamra <laughs> that, that scene was seemed that scene was important and it, yeah. it uh it didn't it didn't happen and that kind of like led me into thinking about something else so after this movie was made what was it did the book come out after the film the book came out way after the film um because i you know since it was an original script i I maintained the publishing rights and um i decided to team up with a friend of mine um uh john doyle um who's a great writer to write a novelization because i wanted the story to be told like i wrote it um it was a fun process it was certainly stretching i'd written short stories growing up but it's a lot different writing a 
a story because it's internal instead of external. Um, so that was great. It's just we published it independently. And just going back to what you said about your friends not seeing stuff, <laughs> it's like, well, I have control over the site on Amazon. And I, I've seen that 20, 20 books have sold. So when I have 50 of my friends tell me that they bought it, I know you're not. <laughs> I know you're lying. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> and even, they don't even gotta, like buy the work. Just just read the damn thing. You know, skim it. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it, it's just support it's, it. Yeah. Right. And and I understand them not wanting to because it's not their child. You know, you don't want your kid to go to like a birthday party and then, and then come back home. Nobody talked to me. Right. Yeah. So when you send a, a child out into the world of, of your story of your making and you don't get any like feedback you, sometimes you're left with thinking well, was it good or did they not like it and, and then it yeah. starts and i i finally just came to the conclusion i don't give a fuck yeah. i enjoyed it i did and that's all that matters to me and and uh so but to go back to you so i was i almost bought the book and now i am going to buy the book you could you could look at amazon to so oh you know, i don't need to yeah no that's but I, I didn't do it because I thought, well, if this is a movie ap adaptation, I've already seen the movie. But then I thought, I wonder if he actually made changes to a few things. And I wonder if the studio didn't water it down or I wasn't quite sure. I didn't know there was like the, really the director thing that got involved there. I just thought maybe it was some exec who said keep their clothes on or something. Cause I, you could just tell it wasn't right. And well, so, I, don't, I don't and I don't necessarily th honestly, I don't think it was a direct because because I'm trying to be nice here, but. But one of the actors, like his dad, was also an investor in the film. Okay. So I think his dad didn't want him to, you know what I'm saying? I think it turned into this whole thing where there was just like, you right. know, I wasn't on set for that shoot date. I wish I was. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, there were a lot of behind the scenes hand-wringing about, about that scene. So I, I don't think it was, I think the director got put in a tough spot too because... Did. You know, you got they, your. You did cover it in different angles to make it look like they were making out or look like they're together. It's still presented on film as if they really were doing that thing. And in people's mind, they'd be like, hey, dude, you were having sex with that guy. And yeah. Yeah. Maybe, like you said, somebody's father didn't really think that was so great. Yeah. By that time, you can't really let the guy go. Yeah. No, I know. I know. It is what it is at that point. Unfortunately, it, it is what it is. But again, it wasn't a bad scene. It's just not the scene that should have been in there. But when you went back to the book, did you correct it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Then I'm going to read it. Yeah. I want to see what, what you wanted to show. So, yeah. No, there's a, there's a lot of, um, just a, a lot of little things that were that even stuff we couldn't afford to do in the movie. That's just in the book. Yeah. Um, so it it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Now, because this is self-published, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame you for saying no because you might never see a return on it. But have you ever thought about going through ACX and putting it on Audible? Um, no. <laughs> That's an easy answer. <laughs> no, I hadn't thought about. No, I just haven't thought about it oh. at this point. Yeah. I mean, you may have a friend who who could do it for you or whatnot. I have one of my books, and I hired somebody through a. Through the Amazon affiliate, which is ACX, and they are plugged in with uh, uh, Audible, and and it's just um, you know it's just where you go to find a voice actor, and you you listen to some of their demo reels, and you find a voice that you like, and then you guys agree on a on a payment or whatever, and 
and uh, it's all done through Amazon. So, uh, you know, yeah. people are paying what they promise, and uh, then they do it, and then it's you don't really do anything. You just listen to the finished product and approve it or disapprove it. They go by chapters, and when you're happy with it, then it goes up. Oh, um, I might think about that. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, it didn't cost me much. Um, uh, but there are some voice actors, really good ones out there that, you know, they, they know their talent, they know their worth and they're really, they're asking for a lot, but you listen to them. It's like, wow, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's called, no, I'll look that up. ACX. I'll look that up. ACX. It's, you can get lost on that site. It's interesting. <laughs> I will. Uh, okay. So I've had you on here for almost two hours. Really? So, yeah. I'm starting to feel bad. Uh, oh, we should talk more indie stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're making the show the view. I mean, we're all getting political. I, don't, I know. I don't want your. I don't want your view. I don't want your listeners to be like, "What? This isn't what we signed up for." To listen to. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Uh, so more indie stuff. The. Uh, uh, so, you made what was known as the Good Samaritan, which was the short. Mm -hmm. eventually became a feature film which if i understood correctly that was your first directing job right yes okay so you made the short back in i'm gonna mess this up this was 2012 i think so um i'm pretty sure that's what yeah and i had already had the feature written but the reason that i the reason that i did a short was because I was supposed to direct the feature and then everybody's like, well, you at least have to do a short first. So then I did the short. Um, and even though the, the script was more of a mystery because you don't know if a person or something supernatural is killing these people. So I couldn't, I couldn't really show the deaths. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided to do the short as a straight up kind of supernatural, but but was it could be I I went definitely a lot more horror with the short because I wanted to show that I could direct horror, um, and love the short. I got Rain Wilson in it and Jane Badler, who was one of my all time favorite actresses. I fell in love with her on V, the miniseries, back in the day. And um, yeah, that is who that was. I knew she looked familiar, but I couldn't place it. Yeah, and she was in Australia, so I just happened to. I just called her up and geeked out. I was like, I really love you. <laughs> Could you be in my short? And she's like, yeah, but I'm in Australia. I said, I'll pay for like a camera person, you know, like I'll, and so she said, yeah. And then we, we, you know, met when she came to California. She's a lovely lady. Um, and then Toby Hemingway, who's in the covenant and several other things. I was fortunate to get him to be in it. And I, and I the short turned out really well. I loved it. And um, with How the many feature. shoot. Uh, we shot it over a weekend. Okay. Yeah. So we had um, we had the house for two days, and then we did the pickup stuff on the second day as well. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow, you guys really hustled. Oh wait a minute, I take that back. Two days in a in the the Rain Wilson stuff we shot separately at a studio. So it was two days, and then we had to we had like three three hours with rain. Um, or four hours with rain on a separate day because we had to work around his schedule because um, he was shooting something at the time. I like how you incorporated that bit into the uh, the feature. Um, yeah. It, just, it fits. 
I yeah. That cool. And then you, you cut it down a bit too. Um, but again, it was to make it fit and, and no, that was really rad. Uh, yeah. No, he was really cool about letting us use that footage for the, for the feature. And, um, you know, with the feature, like, I, I, you know, again, a lot of, lot of obstacles to overcome, you know, as far as like, oh, we don't have the, the resources we originally had. Cause originally we had a lot more money and some pretty big names attached. And then the company was like, we're not making, we're not making features any, we decided we're not going to do it because we were going to be their first feature. And then they just chickened out at the last minute after we location scouted. So then we're like, well, we've already got the locations. And I'm like, I've also turned down like other work. So let's just make this for whatever we can. <laughs> sounds like a lot of stress though. My God. Oh God. No, it was, it was, it was a lot of stress, but, um, but we we did it and um it was a great learn you know especially for a first time you know directing a feature um kind of doing it not even just gorilla but also yeah gorilla but with with a lot of obstacles like was actually good because you know i i kind of it was a super crash course i mean the short the short was like a piece of cake <laughs> compared to the feature. Um, this is your first but, time directing. You, I'm sure you'd been around a lot of directors. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, what prepared you for this? Besides the short, I mean, were you just, this is it. This is welcome to the world. And, like, did was there any training before this? Uh, you know, I just been, I'd been on, I've been on so many sets. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've been on almost every set of every film that i've been on so i've been able to like talk to directors and and learn from them um and again the, the experience with the short was really good uh and i had some director friends i could call you know you know when i started having some freak out days on set yeah. um but really a, a lot of a lot of it was um You know, the, the stress wasn't so much it was my first feature. This, a lot of the stress was that we just didn't have access to a lot of the stuff that we should have, we were supposed to have access to. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, you know, we'd lose a location like two days before we were supposed to be shooting. And then we would have to rearrange the whole shooting schedule. Dude, this is but a movie then, all onto itself. Yeah. <laughs> because you've only got a certain amount of time with these people. I mean, they haven't got a yeah. life. Yeah, so you're absolutely. You lost location, and you got to reschedule it, and you got to, you know, hey, you guys, oh my god, dude, this yeah, is a nightmare. We had, and we had like a, you know, the scenes that we shot in the park. We had to get permits for that, but then it rained on the day that we had our first permit. So then we had to redo the schedule and re get all the permits for the park on the day that you know. It, so it was a, it was a lot of of stuff happening, but again that's the part of indie filmmaking is you just kind of roll with it. Well, um, and at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, because people are, my friends were like, look, you're either going to, when you direct this, you're going to be like, never again, or you're going to be like, I'll direct again. And so I'm definitely like, I have a couple other projects I want to direct. Um, make sure I have the right budgets for them. But, <laughs> um, yeah. but I was very happy with the, with, you know, again, with the finished product, because I, I look at every film, even when I'm, even when it's not my film, I look at a film for what it is. Like, so if I'm getting a, you know, if I'm watching a $2 million, you know, horror film, or if I'm watching a hundred thousand dollar horror film, I always take that into account when I'm watching it. 
So I appreciate it for what it is. Now, if it's a bad film, it doesn't matter what the budget is. I'll still think it's a bad film. I just won't write about it online. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, just knowing, knowing what we had to work with and all the obstacles we had behind the scenes. Like, I'm, I, I watched the movie and I'm, and I'm proud of it. Like, Could be. You know. I, none of that, none of these obstacles came through on this film. It, it looks like everything was supposed to be the way it was. Yeah. And that's why it's like, again, imp so important to like surround yourself with like a team, especially because you never want to fix stuff in post, but you never ever want to minimize how much, how important post-production is because the editing, the sound design, the scoring, the color correction, all that stuff can do so much for your film. And I think a lot of the mistakes that I see a, a lot of indie filmmakers make is they put all their money into getting the film in the can and then they don't have the money or the time to actually do the post-production right. So then, you know, for me, like color correction is very important. Like I think, and if it's a stylistic choice, it's one thing, but I think a lot of indie films because they don't, they didn't put enough side, put enough money aside for like color correction. Like a lot of indie films will look very, washed out you know like the colors are just not bright. you know it just looks like washed out like i, I don't mean that in a bad way it's just no, it's no but i i can think of like a few reasons why that could happen and uh it, a lot of it probably does have to come back to budget some of it can be just they weren't quite knowing what they were doing right and i could speak from experience <laughs> right so with, you know we, we had a really good i had a really good colorist and sound designer and, and composer on this and they actually went above and beyond um just to get just to get it to where it could be and a good editor so it 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 turned out it turned out well like i know that i i and again i've been around long enough that i knew i knew going in since they were marketing it like a horror film and it's not it's more of a mystery and I knew that people knowing that I came from a final destination background where there's like lots of really bloody gruesome set pieces. I, I knew I was kind of setting myself up for like people being like, Oh, you would think with final destination, he would know that we need blood and we want scare. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, yeah. You, you kind of get yourself in that corner. So I knew, I knew that was coming. Um, so people so just, people were saying some stuff like that then i mean this is oh yeah a lot of people because they they thought it was going to be a horror a straight up horror movie oh. and um again if this had been a movie where you know where we had some and i love our our cast our cast does an amazing job um you know but if this was a movie where we had like a couple of a-list actors in it you know then it that would be a you know there would be a different kind of under you know what i'm saying like they would have been right. like oh, okay this is a mystery more than a horror movie you, you know what would make me think it was more of a horror movie was the fact that on the the cover of the film it actually says uh is this what i have right here no uh for, i believe it says from the writer of final destination maybe the creator of final destination on there and and it was above the title if i remember correctly mm -hmm. and for me, if I read that, I'd be like, oh, horror movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I get why they did it. It was a very popular film. Oh, yeah. So, you, know, you want to draw that attention. But 
but I still, like I said, it's it's a movie that I'm I I'm, I am very proud of. Like I I, it's very I think it's very entertaining. Oh yeah. You know I I love our cast and our crew, and I think you know, <laughs> I mean, we had crow we had rain machines and crows and stunts and all this. You know, it was a spooky movie though. Yeah, there was some spookiness going on in that movie. Anybody listening right now, don't think this movie's blah or boring. Because oh yeah, no, no, no. no this this movie, it's it is in my opinion, it is it's a mystery horror. Yeah, and, and uh, I think I know this sounds funny, but I think the beginning of the film was probably my favorite, where the dad was in there and he's telling his daughter. There's a knock at the door where things just start you know take a horrible turn of events. But yeah, oh, is he here to bring you birthday sex? What the fuck? Oh yeah, <laughs> I know. And the my producer wanted me to cut that line out, and I'm like, no. Oh no, that's the line I remember. Oh no, no, <laughs> I know. It's out of like, all the it, movie, that's the line I remember. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, I don't know that was the line you remember, but I just, I just remember that the producer wanted me to cut that. He's like, that's not funny. I'm like, trust me, it's funny. No, it was. <laughs> it was. My girlfriend actually repeated it uh, two days ago. We were in the car. Bring you birthday sex? <laughs> exactly what she was talking about. Um, so because this was your... So what I'm trying to do is, at this point, we're almost two hours in, and I don't want to take up all your time. So what I, what I want to do is, is, is ask you some questions that are in relation to, I guess, this film, because this is... A lot of you went into this. It, you know, it was your first time directing. Uh, stuff just got batshit crazy, and you 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 overcame. Um, well, no, t- just take a step back. Marketing and release. If the company is saying that they they weren't interested in making films anymore, you got you 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 pushed it through. Is what it sounds like. Like you physically did this. Well, we no. What happened is we just parted ways with that company and just Ooh. did it. Did it ourselves. Our, yeah, because they. Oh yeah so we just we just did it ourselves like the pro- producer raised some money um yeah we got some investors and just made it for like a, <laughs> a way smaller amount than <laughs> than the other company was going to give it to so yeah when they 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 we went location scouting and then we got the we got back from location scouting and the next day they called us and told us that they were like, yeah, we're we're doing some shuffling internally, and we just don't feel like focusing on movies is the right you know strategy for us. So, <laughs> damn, <They're> like, thanks. <laughs> and so, so you guys went with a completely different company at that point, and I'm sure they handled distribution and yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, that, that's where I got confused. I thought, well, if they didn't want any part of it, who did the distribution and, and advertising? Okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, all right. So normally I ask. I think this is a good film to talk talk on. Um, I normally have like a set of questions that I that I ask my guests. Mm-hmm. And looking through them, I think. So, do you remember because because this was a lower budget film, right? Do you remember? And this is kind of a DP question, but do you remember what kind of camera you used? Um, the Alexa. The Alexa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, let's see. I think we talked about how you got your cast and crew. We talked about how you got your funding. Your locations changed. We talked about that. Uh, 
I think we're going to ask during this period of filming this film, what do you think your worst day was? Um, I personally, I would think it's when they're telling you we ain't doing it. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. It's just no, me. it's so fun. It's so funny. Cause I, the filming stuff was kind of, once you're in it, you, I, I can't really, Well, here's an example for me, right? I yeah. would think on my first film, the worst day would have probably been, I had bought a uh, uh, a trailer, you know, like an RV, right? Mm -hmm. Travel trailer. And it was from 1984, so it was not safety glass. And I had a friend from work who, who's a bigger dude. I mean, like the guy like weightless, I mean, he's big. And I said, hey, there's a scene inside the, the uh, RV where... Uh, the creature is outside and it's trying to get in. Can you push on the RV and really shake it a lot? And he's like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And I said, okay, cool. So he showed up and I'm filming and it's looking great. And then his hand goes through the window and he's all cut up. Mm. And I continued rolling until I heard him say, okay, I'm hurt. And, and that's when I cut it because the reactions were good. And, and uh, so I got my ass out of there. I said, are you, I mean, I'm not saying like I was recording while the dude was bleeding out, but no, I mean, no, no. there was like two or three seconds where I think, there was a part of me who, who said I should turn this off, but there was another part of me saying he's not yelling. So maybe he's not hurt. And the reactions of my cast is so good that I want to use this. Yeah. And, and, uh, and multiple ways how I could modify it to do blah, blah, blah. Well, then I hear he's hurt. So you know, we turn off the camera, I go out and this man is bleeding from his wrist and, and the blood's not squirting out, but this man is bleeding from his wrist and there's slashes all over. I said, I said, Brennan, I said, I said, dude, we got to take you to the ER. And he didn't want to spend my money. And, you know, because this, all this comes out of my own pocket. And I said, no, dude, you have insurance and I will pay your bills. Let's go. No, 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 we're not going. We're not going. We're not going. He didn't go. The good thing is he didn't get an infection. Um, he healed okay from it, but it looks like he's done self-harm to himself now when you see his wrist. But I think yeah. for me, that was probably the worst day because... I feel like I should have pressured him more to one. I feel like I should pressure him more to go to the hospital Two, He got hurt on set and, and that's my fault. I should have said, don't put, I wouldn't have thought he would have pushed on the glass. Okay. But part of me should have said, put your hand here, put your hand here. And that's something I learned from now on. If there is a chance somebody get hurt, I need to think through that and say, okay, this and this do that. And yeah, you know, and for me, I think probably that was my worst day on set because my friend got hurt. Yeah, and that was my fault. You well, know. it's not your fault. Well, I know how you feel, though. I mean, and also, you know, people are stubborn. Like it's, I mean, we had a couple. We had a couple of those days on our set. I'm not laughing about it, but I, I know. I remember one day, like this isn't the worst, but one day, like our, our our Courtney Bell, our lead, was like running up the stairs, and she turned around the corner and she ran right into the camera. Oh, damn. <laughs> and we were like, crap. And, you know, we were hoping that she'd, and she didn't have a concussion, thank goodness. Yeah. But, um, you know, during the fight scene in the park, that's probably my most frustrating day because we didn't, the producer made me spend so much time shooting all this, these shots of our lead actress jogging that we didn't get down to the park attack scene till like after lunch and we had to shoot it all before this 
before it got dark and so I didn't get all the I didn't get the coverage that I really wanted on that scene but our stunt guy got his shoulder thrown out yeah. and then he just gets up and pops it back in and he's like all right I'm ready I'm like what whoa and then <laughs> during the shooting of our finale in this apartment um we we had a very wonderful location for that that in finale that we couldn't end up that fell through at the last minute so we ended up going with this apartment that i am not happy with because it's all white which as any dp will tell you is the worst worst thing to light but um i remember our props lady um twisted her ankle like um and then when we we had an air gun for for a rifle and just an air gun and not like anything that was used on like any big movies um but it just shot a puff of air out but because there was dust in the room i know it it, pu- it puffed some dust into one of our actors eyes and it didn't hurt him it just made his eye red for a while so yeah. that stuff bugs me when people same thing i'm telling you it's not your fault but yeah when the sun yeah, guy dislocated the shoulder and then yeah that's a higher quality of man than i will ever be <laughs> Oh God. that dude just popped his shoulder back in. I would be crying. I'd be like, Oh, oh my he just pops. literally I mean it's hanging there. I'm like, holy shit. And he just he's like, it's okay, and he just pops it back in. It's okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um yeah, I think those are probably yeah, because again, there there's there's challenges every day. On set, I remember we were shooting the scene where she's in the car and the boyfriend comes up to the car and like this really heavy like tornado not tornado but really heavy like hurricane kind of wind started blowing so it was like blowing all of our tents away and blowing everything away so it was really hard to shoot that scene Jeffrey, you uh, had some rough days dude yeah but you know it's part of indie filmmaking it like is. it is there's always there's always a challenge like the and then I'll, the night of the vigil, like there's a vigil for the guy who goes missing and um, everybody at the vigil is supposed to be holding candles and we didn't want to use real candles because they would keep melting. So we use these um, kind of big lighters with like, cu- like our production designer guy made cups on. And now that I've told you, you'll notice, but if you're probably watching the movie, you probably wouldn't have noticed. Oh, I didn't. I thought they were candles. Yeah. But what happened is he they bought a bunch of big lighters that only had like an hour and a half full of fuel um so we ran out of fuel <laughs> and it was a sunday so no place was opened and there was a mad scramble where finally they found some place where they were able to get like it but it took hours so we lost hours on that night and never in your life did you think you'd be the most important thing in your life would be trying to find a shit ton of lighters in the middle of the night. Yeah, and these were like the special, like longer one, you know, the kind oh, that you light a fire. Lighters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that was fun, but it's all an adventure. You look back on it and you're like, when it's happening, you're like, fuck. But then yeah. you look back on it and you're like, yeah. After a while, you just gotta, you know, shit happens. This is just how it is. Uh, yeah, no, I, I get. Yeah, I've got stories too, but I don't want to embarrass some folks. But uh, yeah, oh. so, all right. So we kind of like when are some worst days. What do you think your best day of filming was with this with this movie? Um, 
I could tell you for me, and this 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 sounds really bad, and it was mostly through the film, and this is you know because I was doing my own DP. For mm. me, it was actually figuring out how to lo- use the lens. As bad as that sounds, uh, I had bought Rokinon lenses, and you know they're decent lenses, but they're they're your lower uh, grade cinematic lenses, and if you know how to use them, they look good. If you don't know how to use them, they look very. It looks very homemade, and so I had a lot of work to do in post because I was, uh, I didn't know what the hell I was doing with these lenses, right? And it wasn't towards the end of it. And I remember all of a sudden I was on set and it clicked. If this person stands here with this color of lighting back there, the the uh, buka behind him will be kind of blurry, and and all of a sudden it looked like something that should be on the screen, and. For me, you know what? I'm going to tell you that was a good day. My best day, I think, with with my film was I was really insecure when I made it and because I was way over my head. And so I was sitting in my home and I had two of my actresses with me. I said, hey, I want to show you this decapitation scene that we did. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. we want to see it. And so we're watching it. We're watching it. And all I see is mistakes, right? That right. should be done better. That of course. Be better. And the next thing I know, these two chicks are screaming like, yeah, and they're all happy as this person's getting their head ripped off. And I thought, no, that was my best day, I think, for for that film. That's when I knew I was like, okay, cool. This this is all right. So for me, that was my best day. Yeah, I think my best day was the rap <laughs> because <laughs> because we had we we not only had to um shoot the final because we we shot the finale in that location for like two and a half days but then we also had to pick up some pickup shots so we were we were able to just barely get all the finale stuff done and the pickup shots done um but i enjoyed like the 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 rain scene with the crow that was a great night um yeah the hospital scene with the crow like the th- only thing is the crow crows are you know they're supposed to be trained and these fucking crows were not doing what they were sp- <laughs> well i was i was thinking about that earlier when i was talking to you and i thought well i've had the guy on so long but i'm going to ask about that so you had to have a crow trainer i would imagine right yeah we had an animal wrangler for the rat scene and for the crow scene and it, that crow would just not do what it was supposed to. <laughs> like there was the, the the scene where the the scene where there's a when Caitlin's visiting. Um, uh, I'm blanking on his name because I know his real name is Damien. Um, or Damon. Um, when she's visiting Curtis and they hear a crash of the window and they go look and they see the crow on the outside the window. Yeah. We literally, and I didn't realize this because I'm so focused on the fucking crow. Um, it took so long to get that crow to do what it was supposed to do that I realized that there was a, when I was watching the playbacks, there was 45 minutes straight where those poor actors stood in the window looking down at the crow. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I had them stand there for so long. But that crow, we finally got it to do what it needed to do, but that crow was just a pain in the butt. The rats were great. Okay. Um, there's a great shot in there. This is awful, but there's a great shot when the the rats like she finds a dead body, and if you watch, 
the rat climbs on the actor's open eyeball. Oh shit, for reals? Yeah. And of course he react. He reacted, but there's like there were several frames before he reacted. So we were able to like just really quickly cut to it, crawl up on his eyeball for a second. Dude. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't know what I th- I didn't think I didn't think anything of it. You know, it, it's on his eyeball, but I should have it should have clicked in my head that I, I guess I probably just figured it was a prosthetic. Oh no, no, the guy was like the the guy like it climbed up there really quick, so that there was a moment of shock before he reacted, and so we were able to like kind of just s- snip it <laughs> and also stretch it out. You know, like slow slow the frame, you know, slow it down a little bit so you could see it a little longer, but. That was fun. Yeah. Okay. So the final question I ask everyone, and because you've had such a, uh, uh, because you have such a large, so many credits to your name, this is going to be a general question. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for everything you have worked on, I know I'm asking a lot. What do you think? What What is something that someone might look at you and think? that was really extreme to do to make a project made. And I can give you an example if you wish. Yeah, I haven't. Give me an example because I I don't feel like I've had to do anything extreme to get a project made. I just know that I've had to sacrifice quality. (laughs) (laughs) So for like this, this, first for the second film right i'm in post on this other film i made and because it's independent and because of lucky you know covid came along the partners that i was with lost some locations that they had owned right they had to close them down so consequently their funding was less so at this point i was left with a choice i could either a um, not finish this film which i didn't want to do because i'm I, I i'm having a really good time yeah or b my rent was going up by $100, which absolutely wouldn't help production, or I can move out in my car. And I said, fuck it. So I moved out my car and I was out there for a little over a month. And it turned out I probably had one of the best times of my life, believe it or not. It's awesome. Because I was staying at a lake, but I chose to be homeless to get this project done. And as the way it turned out, things just worked out for the best and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, at the time my my grandparents especially really thought that was extreme they didn't think that was such a bright idea at all i remember my grandpa looked at me and goes so my grandson is homeless i said yeah <laughs> uh, but uh oh wow no that's i mean again but that's dedication i mean uh, and that's you know you, you only you only get to live once and yeah. so if this isn't going to hurt me in any way you know of course if, if it was just a miserable time and i was unsafe yeah i would i would have got a different apartment or something yeah. you know? i would have figured out but you know, if you don't if you don't finish these these this film, especially an independent uh, people's body change and and, and uh, maybe another COVID pops up, I don't know. Yeah, you have to do it now is what I've learned. Yeah, so it was either not do it possibly or do it. So I chose to do it. So I've got the footage and it. I'm glad I did what I did. And and uh, another example is in my first one because that one was mostly all self-funded. I did some like fundraisers and stuff. Like I, I built like a deck for somebody and, and I was able to earn like 500 bucks from that. And I built, I guess I built two decks and I built another deck for somebody and I earned like a grand from that. And my parents pitched in a few dollars. And then I did a, a thing where I would go out in the middle of the city and I'd make these little, 
uh, over a course of four hours a day, I'd make these little videos where I'd pick up trash on the side of the road. And I had this shirt on that said, help fund my film. And so I'd pick up trash as a fundraiser. I did it for 30 days straight, four hours a day. And that earned me like 1800 bucks, which is, which was enough to buy the travel trailer that we had in the film. And then, and uh, blah, 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 blah. And I got to the point where things were getting so crazy because of COVID because all of a sudden this, this happened. Right. Yeah. And on my end, you, we couldn't mingle together. And so one thing led to another and I couldn't do more fundraising jobs of a lot. I knew I, if I want to finish this, I'm going to have to pay for this. And yeah. so instead of buying my own food, I would start dumpster diving and I was eating lots of granola bars. You find a lot of stuff like that behind the dollar store. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I did that for like a month just so I could have the rest of the money to pay my actors and make sure they were fed on set and make sure we had the equipment we needed uh, to get this done. And, you know, we got it done. It, it, the issue was I couldn't have everybody like on the same set. Yeah. Because this back then just weren't a thing. They, they weren't readily available yet. So I had to super, there's many scenes where you think you see a group of people in the room, but it's not, it's there. It's all composited. Uh, thank God for green screen. And um, there's a few scenes where you could really tell, but it's a comedy horror, so it works. Um, but there's some scenes where I'm like, damn, that look, that look, that looks pretty good. And so for me, extreme was moving out into my car, or an extreme was eating out of dumpsters. And it doesn't have to be that extreme. I don't think a lot of people go that extreme. Uh, but that is that is. But that's again, that's uh, when you've got the passion to tell stories. I mean, you you do stuff. I mean, I. Yeah, I haven't had, yeah, like I haven't, because again, a lot of the, the biggest thing for me has always been, I mean, there, you know, there were a couple of times like where I, you know, paid for, you know, to bring on a different editor because my producer wouldn't pay for, you know, gave me a shitty editor. And so I had to hire somebody myself. So um, I, think I think that's, you know, it, it's extreme with a passion right there. Yeah. And there was a time, because I always love to tell people this story because people always think, you know, like, if you write a hit movie and there's sequels that somehow like you're you set for life, which is completely not true. But I do remember um, this wasn't even to get a movie made, but I remember there was like a summer where, you know, I didn't have any money. And so I had to basically one of my friends was selling like bar exam courses to law students. And there's this huge company. I think it's Barbary or something is the, is the name of it. Um, there's like the standard that everybody uses. And then this, a bunch of people from that company broke off and started their own company where everything was online and it was a lot cheaper. So I was going with my friend to all these like really snooty, like Ivy league law colleges sitting in their quad, trying to sell all these rich kids on taking this course. And they're like, well, but it's so much cheaper, you know, it's like, yeah, but it's better, you know, so talk about humbling you know what i'm saying it's yeah. like here i am with all these fucking you know rich entitled kids like trying to convince them to take a, a law course um but and having most of them reject you keep your momentum going um but no but i need yeah but i did you know i needed them i needed the money you know to pay the bills um i know an actress right now who was was just knocking it dead and then suddenly things stopped yeah and so now she has her own side business. Um, yeah, I'm a, what she needs to do right now. 
because she said she said this is it or nothing like she will i truly believe this girl would choose being homeless as opposed to stopping and uh i don't i don't know how much i agree with that but that this is what she wants to do so <laughs> you mean acting or her side gig oh acting okay okay yeah um well no i mean it, it, if you know it's persistence you know and as long as a talent is there hopefully um it'll 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 pay off but you know i know i also know a lot of friends of mine who are you know have acted for decades but they're you know they act in the very ultra low budget indie world um so they make enough money i think to kind of pay their bills but you know they don't they're not necessarily working in the at the level you know in the quality of films that they'd want to work in but they're still like i'm still getting paid to act so that's what you know what i'm saying like that makes me happy i know a girl who her films aren't bad but they are definitely you know the b side of the a film and she goes for quantity yeah and but she's got a nice place so i mean she's she's making money yeah um but i don't know that's that's a whole other can of worms but yeah yeah uh, yeah well that's the thing it's like sometimes it's like you know you want to do you want to do the stuff you're passionate and you love but then there's the other reality is like i've got to pay the bills so yeah if i can make if i can make 15 if i can make 15 you know movies that aren't that great but it's it's you know paying paying me a decent amount each film Mm -hmm. that adds up very quickly and you always have to have that thought in the back of your mind what's going to happen if i get sick or yeah what's going to happen when i get old or you know you got to have a safety net of some sort right there yeah absolutely absolutely shoot all right well on that note oh one more thing Mm -hmm. you are co-producing a film coming out if i understood your twitter correctly and i need to throw i need to throw uh 20 bucks at it before i forget uh it's an independent film called new fears eve yeah 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 Yeah, they brought me on um it's a friend it's a friend of mine pj starks um who did a movie during covid called uh 13 slays um and i think it's 13 slays to christmas but it might just be 13 slays but um he shot it during covid and i was just really impressed with it and i like him a lot he's a great guy um and he sent me his, his new one. It's a, it's a, you know, again, indie slasher film, but um, yeah, I told him I'd come on as a producer. He's it's got Dave Sheridan who uh, he's done a lot of stuff, but my favorite is he played um, officer doofy in scary movie. <laughs> yeah. That's why that name sounds familiar. And yeah. uh, Felissa Rose is in it is producing it as well. And um, the nicest lady, man she is i love her um so yeah like you know it's 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 an i'm going going down to kentucky just for the last weekend in in um july for to owensboro to to work on it and so yeah it was just just you know i i my my reps hate when i (laughs) do stuff like this only because they're like you need to be you know writing bigger stuff and focusing on bigger stuff but um i still you know try to help people when I can. And PJ's a really talented filmmaker and his, his, his um, 
writing producing partners great and um yeah i'm just was excited when they sent me the project i was like yeah i want to be involved so <laughs> that's awesome dude i look forward to seeing i watched the trailer uh and um there was a link on your twitter if people want to help out to uh, go over there and, and pitch in a few bucks it's a crowdfunding platform i think it's indiegogo isn't it um to be honest i'm not sure if it's on, i'm not sure if it's on indiegogo um it was but uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get it on twitter right now and find out pretty certain it was um but yeah and the rewards are crazy like they're already funded but they're still giving opportunities for rewards and those are some kick-ass rewards uh, they're, they're talking about stuff about you know getting your picture in the film or actually being in a scene with felicia rose and oh yeah Oh, yeah, they're, they're not they're not half-assing it. They're um they're not. They're yeah. Yeah, they had some crazy I, I and I I think they may have already <laughs> um I think they've reached their goal. I, I think that they're now they're at the point where it's like, yes, we have I'm not I shouldn't say that. Um they would smack me for saying that. Um, <laughs> um I'm just I'm just looking up to see. When I looked, they were about they were somewhere in the area of, it seemed like five to 10 grand ahead of their, of their goal. Like they have met goal, but that extra money they're putting into the project. Yeah. So yeah, it is Indiegogo. It is Indiegogo. Um, and yeah, there's some great prizes. It's like, yeah, be it. Yeah. Be in a scene with the star of the film and yeah, it's great. Yeah. So anybody listening, uh, I don't know when, it, when they're going to, pull the plug on it but uh uh hopefully when you guys are hearing this that you know still be up and just go over there and check this thing out because you get yourself in a in a movie even if it's your name on a a desk plaque or your picture hanging up somewhere and it just looks like it's going to be a fun film too that they got a yeah. some on second trailer on there that that was enjoyable and they just seem like nice dudes yeah so they cool. are they are they are very 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 good so we're done with this. That, that reminds me, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to throw them 20. Just to say, you know, I helped out, but pretty cool stuff, man. So, all right, sir. Well, is there anything else that, that you would like to mention or? No, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I would just say, you know, if you're interested follow me on Twitter, like I'm, um, you know, I've got some, I've been, you know, during COVID, I got involved in animation, which was fun. Oh. So worked on a couple animated shows for Netflix and, um, one of them got an Emmy nod for um, YA animation. Uh, so that was the first time I've ever had anything I've worked on even get nominated for an Emmy. So that was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I have a couple of things that are potentially in the works, but it's yeah. always, yeah, it's can. always <laughs> um, until I, until I get some, yeah, until I get confirmation that it's happening, I'm not going to believe it. I, I've, yeah, I've done that myself a few times where I'm just like, oh, this person's going to help me out, and we're we're going to do this. And next thing I know, I'm like, no, and, and now I look like an idiot because I said something. So now I don't say anything until it is actually happening. But, but um, but when it does, I will definitely um, I will definitely post about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's for sure. Um, 
Well, maybe in a year or two, if I'm still doing this podcast, we'd have you back on and see what other crazy stuff you're up to. Because you're doing big things, man. Getting an Emmy nomination, that's that's a big deal. That was amazing. An amazing way to end the year. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing way to end the year. All right, man. Well, I've had you on for a long time. You've had me on. You've had me on for. Yes. I was going to make some kind of hooker joke, but I couldn't think of anything (laughs) funny. So you got your money's worth. Yeah, which was nice because I didn't I didn't pay anything. I know. <laughs> That's how fucking cheap I am. <laughs> oh shit. All right, brother. Well, Thank it was so, so great much. talking with you. It was good talking to you. I had a very good time. This has been an episode of the Independent Filmmaker. If you are a filmmaker and would like to be on the show. Drop us an email at tifilmmaker at gmail.com. That's all one word, tifilmmaker at gmail.com. There's new episodes every Monday.